Hey, thanks for tuning in to this special edition of the Hope Community Podcast. It's another flashback episode. Check it out. Broke my heart. I'm like, yeah, we'll do that song. You want to do that song? Sure. And it just shows you how much our kids connect with what we're doing here. There's, we're making an impact. So look at the person next to you and, and just say, hey, I'm making an impact. You are. You're making an impact on these kids' lives. And uh, they're sharing it, saying it, telling it, doing it, acting it out. It's, it's awesome. So uh, we've been talking about uh, relationships and family and connecting and, and resources and finances and all different types of things, but basically stuff that you would talk about as a family around the table. And last week we talked about the future. We talked about looking beyond just our present circumstances and actually being able to envision and see off into the future beyond our own self, but our uh, kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids. Uh, we told ourselves and gave ourselves permission that it was okay to do such things. Like, it's okay to think about the future. It's okay to think about your great-grandkids. It's okay to, to put things in place or at least look inside yourself and know that what you're doing and what you're planning is helping them in the future. You know, it's, it's not the, the feeling of dread that that responsibility is on you. It's looking in and seeing the delight of knowing that what you're doing is important enough that it's affecting your future generations. That it's, it's, we looked at Jeremiah 29, how the father said that those folks who were in captivity were to build, to plant, to harvest, to eat, to get married and have kids and have great grandkids and great great grandkids to multiply generationally. And we, we saw that that's how the Father actually speaks to us. He speaks as the Father, um, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's multi-generations, not just three. But, but God is trying to show us that we should see into the future and that we shouldn't be afraid of it. And what the church has done a lot of times is taught folks to be afraid of the future, Right? Just last night, we were at a table drinking coffee and talking about how stuff that, that we were told as kids. We were, stuff scared us to death. And I don't know about you, but if you lived in the 80s, all those movies from the 70s, right? Thief in the Night, uh, all of them were about getting your head cut off, guillotine, because you were left behind, right? And then in the 90s, I worked at a bookstore, and they, all those Left Behind books came out, which I don't understand why people freaked out about. Because they're in the fiction section. Fiction. Um, so people wigged out about it, and they worried about it. They made movies about it, and it scared another generation of kids. And I remember in 88, coming home, and my parents not being home and being scared to death, thought they were gone. I mean, we were taught to be afraid of the future, Right? There was going to be famine. There was going to be war. There was going to be all this stuff. And I've learned out that, wow, people have pretty vivid imaginations because none of that stuff has happened. There's been a lot of cool things that have taken... I mean, there's been bad stuff, but there's been a lot of cool stuff, a lot of technology, a lot of advances in medicine, a lot of stuff that's caused us to live beyond 73 years. And now we got folks... I mean, I just watched a video of a 103-year-old man run a marathon. I mean, he ran kind of like this, but he still did it. It was amazing. I mean, he can't, and he didn't, he finished dead last. He got across the finish line. His son came out and he looked just as old as he was and came and helped him off the thing. But the guy's face was, I mean, the, the ability that he has to do that is all because of the advances that we've seen happen. And can I share this with you that all of that is the kingdom? None of that is separated from the Father, it's all a part of his heart. And so when we, that's why I'm saying if we can see and switch our thinking, which I know is hard because I've learned that habits and thinking make wrinkles in your brain. And so basically, if you've got bad thinking, then you're going to have to re-wrinkle your brain. <laughs> you, it, it, you have to think it, do it, and participate in that good thought enough to re-wrinkle the bad wrinkle that's in your brain. You can't just, people talk about rewiring the brain. You're, you're not a robot. You can't rewire anything in your brain. It is neurons, electrons, and flesh. And, and it, it is a mystery and a miracle. And, and it, it literally, when you think new things, it changes the shape. It changes the path and the way things move in your brain. And so that's why it takes hard work. 
And so it's going to take hard work. If you've had, and I have had a pessimistic view of the future. If you've had a pessimistic view of the future, it's going to take you time to do it. But it's not impossible, and you can. I really think that that's why so many folks, when they reach, uh, when they reach into their 60s in the church, they wig out and they think that their time is done, that it's over with. Because they've been taught a pessimistic view of the future, and they think, well, I don't have anything left to give. But can I tell you, in the kingdom, and what we learn from the past patriarchs of the past, and in the Old Testament and the New Testament, is those folks that were in their 60s were the ones that spoke more volumes into the younger folks, and spoke more wisdom to the younger folks, and gave more than they did when they were in their 30s and 40s. So you're not done yet. You've got more stuff. And I think we have great examples of that because the folks that we would say are grandmas and grandpas in our church have huge impacts on those of us who are in our 30s, 40s, and 50s and have kids here. Because my kids talk more about those folks that are in their 50s, 60s, and 70s here at our church than they do about anybody in their 30s. <laughs> my son all week talked about Willard. All week, he was so excited. And then Willard gave him a dollar, and that really blew his brain. <laughs> he was like, you got dollars? <laughs> he has it, he cherishes it, he loves it. He found it in Lindsay's purse and showed me and pulled it all the way, it was folded up. He pulled it all the way out, and he said, Willard gave me this. You know who Willard is, right? And I go, yeah, I know who Willard is. He was so excited. He asked today, he goes, uh, am I going to see... Am I going to see Willard today? I said, God, you might, you may. I mean, he, that's the impression that he gets. And so I want, I want you to know how much impact you have on those folks' life. And that's what we're doing. We are building for a future. We're not just building now, but we're planning and growing and doing things into the future. Because we're not living single generations. We're living multi-generations. We talked about seeking the welfare of the city. Actually loving having compassion and empathy for our neighborhoods and, and, and the things that are around us. And then we talked about Hebrews 6, how we have an anchor in the presence of the Father, that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ, and we are anchored there. There's no getting rid of that anchor. You can't move it. And I, I talked about how big the anchor was for these cruise liners and these and battleships and Man, can you imagine the anchor that's for an aircraft carrier? They're huge. And once they're in, it's like they're, you're not moving it. It's not going anywhere. And that's how you are. You're anchored with him. And so you have a seat at his table, and the blueprints that he has for your life and the resources he has to help you build the future are all right there. And then he looks at you and says, what do you want to build? What do you want to do? I've got a layout. I've got the resources. What do you want to build? That's the beautiful thing about this relationship with the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's inviting us in to build the future. What do you want to do? What do you want to build? What do you want to put together? We talked about how I would build something different completely than what Chandler would build. Because Chandler sees all those resources, and he sees something different. I see the same resources, and I see something different. That's the beautiful thing about what we can build. And what's really interesting is the thing that I build, the thing that Chandler builds, the thing that Lindsay builds, the thing that Dwayne's builds, all those things start interconnecting and working together to build larger, bigger futures. The church, coming out of the dark ages, were the ones that were developing the science that now is, has shifted and changed, changed everything. I know the church gets knocked on a lot because of, really, we're the ones that put us in the dark ages because of some of the medieval thinking that we had. But the greatest thinkers that came out of that, that got us out of that nonsense, were all from the church. The church persecuted them, but they were still Christians. They were kingdom-minded people because they saw beyond the medieval thinking that they were given. And so you, you find out about guys like, Isaac Newton that discovered gravity. You find things out about Pascal and, and these guys who uh, basically developed and understood medicine and, 
and started breaking things down. Most of the astronomers that found the stars and found all these different things, all of them came from the church. Medieval thinking was that the, everything revolved around the earth. But it was Christian astronomers who were like, no, that's not how this works. This is actually how it works. It gets real amazing when you start thinking about these guys that figured out this gravitational pull of all the planets and the sun and all these different things, and now they're discovering planets that they can't even see yet, but yet they can recognize the gravitational pull that it has on our entire solar system, and there's some new planet, they don't even have a name for it yet, it's Planet Nine, because remember, Pluto's not a planet anymore, they found another planet, they say it's the size of Uranus, and it's out there somewhere, and it's, uh, it's ellipse around the, the sun is so huge that we haven't even seen it yet, but it has such a pull on the entire solar system that if it wasn't for the sun and this other planet, the earth wouldn't be what's called the Goldilocks spot that wouldn't be able to develop life the way it has been. Now people can say what they want, but that ain't no coinkydink. <laughs> and for the longest time, scientists thought that the sun was tilted and that the solar system was like this, but in actuality, because of the way everything is, the solar system is tilted and the sun is actually right. And the reason why all that is so is because there's other planets out here that we haven't even found yet on the telescope. We just know it's there because of gravity. But the reason why all that's lined up is the, is to put us in the position that we're to be in so life can spark and live. There's no other life on any of the other planets in our solar system but ours. That's amazing. And these guys who didn't even have telescopes yet could look up in the sky and figure that stuff out. And all that came out of the heart of kingdom people who were like, we got to see things beyond just us. Because if we keep seeing things in just us, it's going to get medieval. It's going to be dark. And so they shifted. And so that's what we have to do. And so shifting is hard. Everybody say it's hard. It's tough. And so in Matthew chapter 7, in verse, it's verse um, 13. Famous. It's, it's Jesus on the mount. He's preaching his longest sermon that we have a record of. He says, come to God through the narrow gate, because the wide gate and broad path is the way that leads to destruction. Nearly everyone chooses that crowded road. But the narrow gate and the difficult way leads to eternal life. So few even find it. Now, when I was growing up, this passage of Scripture was always used to describe salvation. The way to the cross. The way to the cross is the narrow. That's how I was always taught. But when you look at the Sermon on the Mount in context and you read this passage of Scripture and you see the golden rule which is right before it and everything you do, be careful to treat others in the same way you want them to treat you for that is essence of all the teachings of the law and the prophets. Before that, he talks about not judging other people. So what's Jesus talking about in this moment? He's talking about living life. He's talking about living kingdom life. And so what he's saying to you is living differently, living according to the kingdom is hard or it's narrow because nobody wants to choose the narrow way. Everybody wants the wide way, which is cruise control. When we, I'll give you a good example of this. I cannot stand highways. I'll tell you why I can't stand highways. Semi-trucks and slow drivers. I would much rather drive 55 on a two-lane road where I can look at things, see things differently, go up and down and around, discover new towns, discover new places. It's a harder way to go, but there's a whole lot more fun and a whole lot more adventure, and there's new things to discover, especially food. But the broad way, the highway, I can put it on cruise control and normally put it on 7475. Put it on cruise control and I can go, but somebody will pull in front of me and slow me down. A semi-truck will cut in front of me and almost knock me off the road. There's always, an, I mean, there's just stuff constantly on there, and it's boring as all get out. I would much rather drive up 50 and go up through Athens to go to Columbus than I would rather take 77 and 70. Because what happens, normally when you're on 70, it does this. Right? <laughs> well, just the, the pavement itself just makes this nasty noise. 
It drives me nuts. I would much rather go the other way. It's the same way with going to Pittsburgh. I would much rather take 50 and go up to Morgantown and go that way than to go 77, 70 across. I know it's faster, but to me it's boring. Is that what? (laughs) So there's definitely a different way to look at things. And and I'm not making fun of cruise control because cruise control is awesome and it keeps me out of trouble. I only need one. I've never gotten a speeding ticket with my wife since we've been married until just a few weeks ago. And I will never get a speeding ticket again. (laughs) As long as Lindsay is with me, I will never get a speeding ticket again. (laughs) But, um... But I love, I, it's awesome, and, I, and highways are awesome. It gets you there faster, but there's something about an adventure and going a different way and finding new things and finding new places. And that's really what Jesus is sharing in this passage. He's like, so many people put life on cruise control, and they just quit. They just give up because it's safer. But the kingdom way is not actually safe. It's good, it's better, but it's, it's, it's not safe. There's some risk involved. So when we look at life, there's, there's two major tasks that we have in life. And that's, it's one, we, we build a strong container or we build a strong enough life that we can, number two, start filling that life with contents, Right? We start filling it up with a home and a family and friends and job security. We start building some form of, some platform. We start building something. And so we, we're filling up our life with stuff. And most of us spend the whole first part of our, of our life, the whole first half of our life, trying to build stuff to fill up what's in us. And we overlook the motive. What's... The task within you filling up all the stuff. What's the purpose? What's the energy behind all that we do? Matthew seven twenty talks about how we will know people by their fruit. Your fruit is not your stuff. Your fruit is your energy. Your purpose, your 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 motives, your your stuff, your your what comes out of you, what causes you to put your hands to stuff like how, the the reason why you're building a home, the reason why you're building a family, the reason why you have the job you have, the reason why you're doing the things you do. That's your energy. That's your 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 fruit is is that, not your stuff. Does it make sense? And so there's two types of energy that you can live from. There's two types of motives that you can live your life from. You can, you can li- live and have energy that's life, or you can have energy that's death. And you're like, well, death doesn't have energy. Yes, it does. <laughs> it's negative energy. It's the opposite of life, right? And so if you're living and you're producing an energy that's full of life, it's full of encouragement and growth and trust and nourishment and prosperity and hope and love, and those things are coming out of you, then the stuff that you fill yourself up with, the, the container of life that you start filling up with, your home, your house, your, your job, the stuff that you start connecting with, all of those are producing that fruit. But if you're living out of a, a, an energy of death, then what comes out of that? Gossip, pain, mistrust, despair, cynicism, pessimism, lack of empathy, lack of compassion. Always waiting for the next shoe to drop, right? Some of us don't even recognize that that energy that's released from us is actually death. And some of it might not even be your fault. Some of it might be because of past pain and past circumstances and past stuff. And it has so affected you that it's caused a wrinkle in your brain to where anything that starts popping up, the first thing that you start thinking about is automatic looked at from a pessimistic point of view. And the reason why I can say that is because I've been there, done that, rode the roller coaster, and got the t-shirt. I've lived that life. 
I've lived from a heart of pain. I've lived from a heart of mistrust. I've lived from that. And automatically, anytime anything happened, I saw it from a pessimistic point of view. And so the energy that was released from me was one of death. And so the relationships that I had, there was no life to them. Easy to get into fights, easy to, easy to mistrust, easy to not rely on, easy to just, I'm just going to do it myself because they ain't ever going to do it. Pessimist. And so we have to start asking ourselves these questions. Which one are we? What are we living from? What's coming out of our mouth? Is life or death coming out of our mouth? The New Testament talks about the power of the tongue. It either has life or death. What's coming out? What energy are you releasing from your mouth? What are you saying? How do you see the world around you? Do you see more death than life? If you see more death than life, then maybe you need to change your glasses. You need to put on some kingdom lenses and see things from the Father's eyes. I just got, I got these glasses like, has it been a year, two years? I don't remember. They're already scratched up like crazy. Lindsay goes, there's something on your glasses. I'm like, there's nothing on my glasses. They scratched. <laughs> and so I'm constantly like doing this, and I still have to do this. I should have got bifocals because I'm doing this to read. I'm doing all kinds of stuff, and um, I, I need to put on, to see correctly without seeing the world through scratches, I need new lenses to see. And this is the same thing. You need to see through Father's eyes. And once you see through Father's eyes enough, your vision will become corrected. And you'll see things the way that he sees things. It'll actually blow your mind because you'll be like, no, uh And he'll say, uh-huh. <laughs> so when we begin to honestly look at our motives, the energy behind what we do, the reason why we do the things that we do, that examination is actually called integrity. Not examining things is having no integrity. You're just doing things willy-nilly. The moment we started looking at our motives, the moment we start honestly taking an examination of the reason why we do things is the moment that we lose integrity and we put life on cruise control. We enter the wide gate because it's easier. The moment we decide to choose negative energy and not positive energy is the moment things shift and we just cruise. If you stay on cruise for too long, you lose muscle mass, the ability to resist against the things that cause pain. You ever seen the movie Wally? Ever seen that movie before? What happened to all the humans? They got stuck in a spaceship, right? They got stuck in a spaceship. They got stuck in stuff that moved them around. They lost muscle mass, and they, and they couldn't move, right? And the little robot had to come and save them, and then they, you remember when the ship landed, and they, all, they could hardly walk out? Because <laughs> they lost muscle mass. They lost the ability to resist gravity, to resist the things that cause pain. And honestly, this is why we get so bored with life. I call that lazy boredom. There's such things as good boredom. Like when your kids have been watching TV all day and you turn it off. Daddy, I'm bored. There's a box in there and some crayons and some rubber bands. Go make something. You have pain to create something. And sometimes, and they even say with kids sometimes to let them sit for a second, second because out of boredom comes creativity. But lazy boredom is dangerous. And boys are definitely guilty of this. Because there were a couple times when I was in the midst of lazy boredom as a kid and I got into all kinds of trouble with fire and BB guns and other stuff. This is the place that bad decisions are made. So let's get real for a second. Why do we choose 
the wide gate or why do we choose cruise control? And the fact of the matter is, is because we're afraid. We're afraid to make mistakes or to get hurt because we've got hurt and we've made mistakes in the past. And as soon as we made those mistakes and as soon as we got hurt, we had other folks who were in the land of cruise control pointing their fingers at us when they were in the same position that we were in. <laughs> so let me give you some truth, all right? Number one, you really can't solve problems without making mistakes. Teenagers, you guys love video games, right? The very first, you don't know what the very first video game was? It's called Pong. And you had a lit up line on one side, and you had a lit up line on one side, and a dotted line across the middle, and it went, Then if you were real fancy, you could do this and put a little English on it and it'd go, beep, beep. And then as that technology progressed and it went from just the, this big, huge box that was like this big with knobs and it moved to an Atari, then you got something that went, beep, beep, beep. So then you had this little box with a thing on the end of it that they called a tank. Maybe they remember the cartridge combat and you and you move anyway and you shoot them and it went because it would bounce off the wall and you try to kill the other tank hours spent playing that game but when you go and you look at and you study the guy who actually came up with that technology that does the little pong game he wasn't trying to invent a pong game he was trying to find frequencies and do different things do different stuff with a tv and he somehow figured out oh you can do this on the tv and then when he started to package it, how many mistakes he made, and it actually took other people to come in and, and fix the mistakes he made to create the Atari, and from the Atari came all this other stuff. Every single invention, every single thing that we have, the phone, the car, all that stuff, think of all the mistakes. I mean, there was things that happened, even things blowing up and stuff taking place, and it all, if that didn't happen, you would have never learned how to put something together better. So you're going to make mistakes. Mistakes aren't the problem. Quitting after a mistake is the issue. And let's talk about pain. Resistance. Resistance is necessary for growth. Now listen, I'm no bodybuilder and, and I'm no workout magician. But I do know that if you want to build muscle, you need resistance. There's something that has to, you have to do to resist your, your, I don't even know what it's called. I'm not any good at that. I don't get any of it. I just know that you have to have resistance to build muscle. And so sometimes pain that we go through, it does, it's not cool, but it will strengthen us and put us in a position to not allow that pain to come back. Does that make sense? So yeah, you might have made a past mistake, and yeah, there could have been some pain that came along with it, but you can learn from the pain and resist the pain and grow stronger to where that's never going to ha happen again. And there's nothing wrong with having an attitude of, I will not allow that to come back into my life again and cause that much disaster. There's nothing wrong with having that attitude. Because you're building a healthy resistance. And number three, mistakes do not mean that you have a lack of integrity. Mistakes don't disqualify you. Pain does not disqualify you. Others peop other people's mistakes that caused you pain does not disqualify you. The Father calls you qualified. And so you have the same promise of a future and a hope just like anybody else. And I know in our hearts sometimes because of pain and mistakes and past things, it's easy for us to go, well, I might as well just choose this way, the easy way, because 
I'm not allowed to have an adventure. I'm not allowed to step out. I'm not allowed to create anything new. I'm not allowed to be used by God. I'm not allowed to share what I hear the Father say. I'm not allowed to do any of this because of this, this, and this. Because we say that we're disqualified. And the Father says, no, you're not disqualified. You're qualified. And you can step into all that you are promised. Sometimes I think the Father, if we could actually hear the Father, I think he would say things like, um, hey, I don't care what Yahoo said, and I don't care what Yahoo did. That's not you. That's not who you are, and that's not what's meant for you. So let's do this. So mistakes are okay. Pain does not disqualify us. It just means that we're human. And I, a few years back, I started, I started to look at the story of Ruth a little differently. Um, in chapter 1, there's a story uh, of Ruth. She... Um, We'll, just, we'll go there real quick. It's Ruth chapter 1, starting with verse 6. To give a little, I'll give a little bit of a backstory. Um, there's a, a, a Limelech and Naomi. And they, and they leave uh, Judah and go to Moab. They've got two kids with them. And uh, they get to this other nation, and basically their sons start dying. And the next thing you know, the dad dies. Which, when you look at the names of the two sons... <laughs> I mean, one means uh, it's something like sickness, and the other one means death. I mean, I was kind of cruel, right? You name your kids that, and then the next thing you know, they're dead. That's not cool. But all kinds of crazy stuff happens, and then they find out that the famine has ended in Judah, and they start, you know, Naomi, Naomi uh, takes her, her two daughters, daughters-in-law, and they start heading back to Judah. And while they're heading back, this, this story happens. It says, uh, verse 6, she, she, she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from that place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with, with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them. And they wept aloud, and then and they said to her, No, we will return with you and your people. But Naomi said, No, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that, you may, be, that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old, and, and, and I too, and, and I'm too old to have a husband. Uh, verse 13, Would you then wait until they are grown? Would you, would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again, and Oprah, or Orpah, kissed her mother-in-law. I say Oprah, but Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah kissed her. Ruth hugged her. Hugged her so hard that she wouldn't let her go. And when I look at this story, and I look at the things that Ruth says after that, she says, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever land you go to, I will go to that land. I want to become part of your family, and I, I want your God to be my God. I want, I want to live with you. And Orpah kissed her and left. And so it's this picture of the narrow and the wide. Both of these daughter-in-laws had spent their time with this woman and, and spent time in this family and, and, and worked. And then Naomi left because she got a word. She heard something from the father and she was moving towards it. And 
Ruth caught a glimpse of it. And she makes the statement, I ain't going anywhere. I'm going with you. You see something, there's something over there, and I'm going to go with you. And that way may be hard, and that may, may be difficult, but I'm going. I'm going on what I hear and what I see, and not taking the easy way out. I know I'm making Orpah to seem like some bad person. <laughs> but I'm trying to show you vision, how much vision and dreaming and looking into the future actually means. Because when you do that, you can see beyond your present circumstances. They're standing in a desert trying to make up their mind which way they're going to go. The narrow gate is not easy. It takes sweat, it takes movement, it takes work, but there's adventure, there's romance, there's dreams, there's a hope-filled future when you start moving in that direction. Ruth's journey wasn't easy. There's pain, there's sweat, there's work, there's embarrassment, but guess what? She finds Boaz. And it's not all about some girl finding some dude. That ain't what the story's about. The word Boaz means strength. She took the journey and she stepped out and went the narrow way and she found her strength. Ain't nothing doing with some boy. I gotta find my Boaz. Ain't what the story's about. She found her strength. <laughs> In the midst of stepping into an adventure, she found strength. And from that strength, guess what happened? From her line from her heritage, from her legacy, because she looked beyond her present circumstances and looked into the future. You know what she produced? She produced David. You know what else came from the line of David? Starts with a capital J and ends in an S. <laughs> J-E-S-U-S. -S. Oh, now I'm getting all Carmen. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. From her legacy came Jesus, from her line. And, and I want you to think about this. Ruth wasn't a Jew. She was a Moabite. She is outside. And a lot of us, when we look at our lives, that's how we feel. We feel like we're on the outside and we're not on the inside. Right? At some point in your life, you felt like an outsider. That's what Ruth was. And from an outsider came the legacy of David, came the legacy of Solomon, came the legacy of Jesus. That's her heritage. That's what she produced. And can I tell you that when we choose to look beyond ourselves and look into the future and see things from the Father's perspective and begin to work with Him and start looking at our motives and releasing life and positive energy from us. I know that's weird. You can't say positive energy. That's too new agey. Well, that's not new agey. New agey people took stuff from the kingdom. It's actually kingdom. When you release positive father energy out of you, you produce Jesus. Life and hope and sozo. Total salvation. Not just saying some prayer, but total salvation. Total healing. Miracles. Signs. Wonders. That what's is, that's what, that's totally bad English. That's what gets released from you. When we start moving and operating from this perspective. Ruth found strength, you can find strength. That strength produces great things. Choosing to move in life, choosing to move in Zoe, making that our energy produces kingdom change around us. It actually changes things into what it's originally intended to be. She could, Ruth could have easily went on cruise control, but she pushed forward. She was a clinger. She clung. She pushed. 
We have to ask ourselves that same question. Are we a kiss it goodbye person or are we a clinger? And when you start understanding that you are that that the father looked at you and he didn't kiss you goodbye, he clung to you. He clung to you, he clings to you. He's not letting go of you. And you can look at him and say, no, I kiss it goodbye, I kiss it goodbye, I kiss it goodbye. You can say that all you want to, but you ain't getting rid of him. He's not going anywhere. His arms are around you. You are seated in heavenly places. You are seated there. So you can sit in your chair with your back to the, entire, to the Trinity and all the blueprints and all the resources. You can sit and do that and put your life in cruise control and... He's still going to love you. You're still seated with him. You're still going to be with him. But gosh, that life sucks. Am I allowed to say that? I'm sorry. (laughs) I already said it. It's already out there. That life stinks. Cruise control stinks. There's a whole adventure out there waiting for you, and the father's like, where do you want to go? You're not fenced in. You're not hemmed in. You're not gated. You're this, what, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? What places do you want to do? What fruit do you want to eat from? What, what do you want to plant over here? What do you want to grow? What do you want to do? Are you all, oh, you're, you're worried about if you plant this and won't grow? Well, guess what? We'll plant another one. Maybe you needed to plant that one over here, and you can plant this one over here. Maybe it's not time to plant that. You can plant that three years from now, but right now, let's plant this. It's a great thing about working with the Holy Spirit. He helps you walk through the stuff, helps you walk through the mistakes, help you walk through the plan. How do you want to do this over here? That's great. You can put that right there, but you know what? It might be a little sturdier if you did this. I've been reading about, I'm hoping I'm going to be able to say the, this, this type of plant right, succulents. Is that right? Woo! Basically cacti. Not all cacti, but some. I've been looking at all these different stuff, and I'm because it's we have no shade around our house, in some places, and I'm like I could plant stuff like this cacti. One, it'd freak my neighbors out. That'd be awesome. Two, 20 years down the road, somebody's gonna show up and went, "Who planted a cactus in West Virginia?" That's my biggest goal. I want that to happen. I can imagine that in the future. But I'm looking at them and seeing this stuff. Like, you can actually do this, and there's a certain way you have to have the soil and all this stuff. Like, I'm planting that stuff out. And, I, and as I was, do, I was doing this yesterday on the deck, my kids were playing in the, in the pool, and I'm sitting on the deck, and I'm, I'm drinking LaCroix, and I've got my book out, and I've got my notebook out, and I'm writing stuff down. Yes, about plants. I've got a notebook about plants. And I'm writing stuff out, and I'm seeing all this, and the, and the whole time, what the Father's saying to me is like, you know how you're planting all this out, and you're reading this book, and you're seeing all this? You know, this is what we do all the time, right? Like people make it out to be this big huge thing, and you have to hear, Thus saith the Lord, God saith, thus doeth, thiseth. And really, this is what it's like, Mick, you, me and you talking. We got, we, 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 we're sitting here, we got the plans, we got the stuff, and we're just talking and joshing and joking and, and seeing and, and seeing, well, that's, I, I bet this person 20 years from now is going to think that's crazy. Who in the world would have done that there? Me and the Father. Neener, neener, neener. You didn't think of it. (laughs) Is it really that easy and that simple? Yes, it's really that easy and that simple. He's inviting you on the adventure of your life. So how in the world does all of this go beyond just you? Well, can I tell you something? Parents, grandparents... When you decide to take the narrow way, the adventure, and you show your kids what it's like to have an adventurous life, and you release life energy and not negative energy, you release life and not death, and you share that, and those words start coming into your mouth, you know what your kids do? They start speaking life and not death. And they start going for adventure. And they start planning and looking. And when they hear you say things, like when you're in a conversation with you and your wife, and you're talking about 
speaking to the Father and hearing and praying and, and looking at what you're going to do for the future and planning those things out, and they see you up at 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 6 o'clock, whatever time you like to get up, and you're the first one up in the house, and you're sitting there and you're reading the Bible, or you're sitting there taking notes, or you're sitting there looking at things and, 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 and seeing things. In the, when their kids see that, they go, whoa. And what do they start to do? They start asking questions. They start doing things differently. They start asking the Father. They start living differently. They start living their lives, and they start looking at, how can, how can I do things to bring prosperity to our family? I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about prosperity. Some of that is money. Some of it's just a new way of thinking. Some of it's just life, because life is prosperous. And my daughter's a good example of this because she's constantly giving me these crazy ideas. And sometimes I'm like, we can't do that. <laughs> There's no way. And I used, to, I used to say things like that. And now I'm like, I look at her and I say, well, how do you think that could happen? Yesterday she, she was talking about something. And I said, well, why don't you get a piece of paper and draw that out? How do you think that looks? What do you think that looks like? I let her open the curiosity door as wide as she could get it. That was a Stranger Things reference, if you didn't know. Sorry, nerd. <laughs> and that's how I want, that's how I want to live. That's how I want my kids to live. And it's so easy to go on cruise control and constantly shut the door to new ideas, new perspective, and shut doors to life. So if you're here today and you think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm toast, I'm done, it's over with. If you can look at your life and go, you know what, I've, I, I've kind of put it in cruise control. Number one, no shame and, and no judgment and, and, and nothing other than love and understanding and knowing I know what that's like. And can I tell you, there's still some areas in my life that I have on cruise control, and I haven't shifted from a death perspective to a life perspective. So I'm in the same boat in some stuff, too. So I'm not looking down on you at all. I'm actually looking at you on the same level that you're at and say, hey, I'll do it if you do it. I'll take a chance. I'll jump. I'll take a leap. My encouragement to you is Jeremiah 29 Matthew 7, he has a future for you of hope that's reality, it's not a myth, it's not pie-in-the-sky thinking, it's reality. He's calling you to a land of adventure, to an adventurous life that, yes, it is hard, yes, it is it's, it's going to take some resistance. You're going to have to grow some muscles to get up some of those mountains. You're going to have to do things differently. You might do this for a little while, <gasps> but you can get through it. You might not be able to run a mile right now. Z can. I can't Z. Jeez. <laughs> Z, can, Z can run a mile and not be... <gasps> If I try to run a mile, that's what I'm going to do, possibly laying on the ground because I got cramps in my leg. But pressing, pushing, eventually I get to the point to where I can. It's part of the process. And that process, even through the pain, brings enjoyment. When Lindsay brought up the whole idea of me starting keto, I hated it because I didn't want it stop eating bread. And I didn't want to stop eating candy bars, and I definitely didn't want to stop drinking Coke, because I like Coke. I love Coca-Cola. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to die. <laughs> That's basically what that means. I didn't like it at all. I mean, there were times, we, there were one time we, had, we went through this whole process, and we were doing this. I think this is before Ezra, or before Rowan. There was one time I told us, like, I can't do this. I, I love eating, I love food, and I love certain things. I can't do it. 
And we had some more conversations and some more talk, and I read some more stuff, and I looked at more stuff, and I tried it. And this time when I tried it, I entered the narrow gate and not the wide gate. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. I still mess up every once in a while. And the other day we went to the coffee shop, and I had a cookie because it was a homemade cookie. She had pie, so that's evened out. <laughs> Throwing it all out there, hon. Um, but I started enjoying what we were eating and what we were putting together. And never in a million years would I thought I would eat collie rice or cauliflower, like, fake mashed potatoes. The thought of that, to me, a year ago, would have been, the smell of cauliflower makes me want to puke. But now you give me, you give me, I mean, I'm at a point now where I almost prefer cauliflower, mashed whatever it is, compared to mashed potatoes. I used to, I used to, I used to fantasize about her dad's mashed potatoes on Thanksgiving. Like would dream about them like three weeks before. I'm like, in three weeks we're getting these mashed potatoes that are creamy and they've got butter all over them. I'm going to put it over everything I got, over the turkey, over the stuffing, over pumpkin pie. I don't care. I'm eating these things. I can't wait. And for the last, has it been two years or the last year I've been like, I didn't like that. Nothing's changed other than I entered the narrow gate, pushed against resistance, changed the wrinkle in my brain and shifted into life. This honestly, this past vacation that we went on was one of the best vacations that we've had. And I'm starting to figure out the reason why it was is because I wasn't a grumpy butt because of all the stuff that I ate. And when we were on the beach, I didn't want to leave the beach. I wanted to play with my kids because I had the energy to play with my kids. I, I, there, was, there was times when I had all three of them and we were like in the ocean and that's not Mick. Because Mick normally is like, I'll be on the beach for two hours and after that, hon, I'm done. Okay, 20 minutes. <laughs> I mean, that was it. But that shift in me caused me, and I'm not bragging and I'm not trying to put my, I'm saying that you can do this too. This, this can happen, and it's the change in the way we see and do things. And I don't have it all figured out. Some of the stuff that I'm talking about today, I, I don't really get, and I don't really know all of it yet. But we can walk this out together. You don't have to stay in that position. You've got life and things to speak into other lives. Actually, you have a whole lot. And when we start looking beyond us, and to look beyond, and, and I'm, not, I'm not minimalizing what, you're, what anybody's going through, because to, to look beyond where you're at, you have to actually look at you. You have to love yourself to love your neighbor, right? You have to learn how to do that. So, you gotta, you, so we're going to have to work on us and our, and, our pers- and our perspective of us, and our outlook of us, and so it can go from this to this, and know that what we have on the inside of that, other, other people need. What we have in us, other people need. Your pro- e- even the pain that you went through, and the experience that you went through, and you walking out of that, and learning from it, and how to grow from it, people need that story and that testimony because they're going through the exact same junk right now or have been and they're stuck and they they need you to release what's on the inside of you and even show them show them how show, show them hey look the father loves me he didn't abandon me he didn't leave me he didn't let go of me he never walked away and he'll never walk away from you your open perspective helps others. And so when we do that, man, and our heart, listen, our heart has always been, I mean, just because Lindsay and I showed up and started working with you all, it never changed the heart of this house, which is to help families, right? I mean, all of us, you hear the language. We talk about Operation Christmas Child. We talk about adoption. We talk about 
foster parenting. We talk about all this stuff. All these things have come up or we've talked about them in some way or the other out of our mouths and talk about helping other people and working with other people and wanting to, to, to bring healing into those situations. I mean, that's who we are. And to do that, we're going to have to understand that what's in us is good and what's in us helps other people. So I'm standing up here telling you I'm ready to walk the narrow way, the adventurous way. There's going to be some sweat. There's going to be some hard stuff. But man, can you imagine the view when we get to the first mountain and see the next mountain we got to climb? Woohoo! I'm inviting you in and say, come on, let's do this. I promise you that this way, we're going to find a, I'm just speaking spiritually, not really, but this way you'll find a mom and pop barbecue place that's the best place in the world. This way you'll find a, a, a thrift store that has the things that you're like, whoa, that's awesome. Over here you'll find satisfaction because of the relationships and the things that you encounter and the things that you do. We're human beings and we love stories. We love creating stories and we love telling stories. And I'm telling you, this way is your story. The wide way, you tell other people's stories. And other people's stories are cool, but it leaves a void in you. And Jesus is like, man, you've got a story that other people need to hear, and there's so much more to your story that you can have. So I'm inviting you in. I'm inviting you to have an adventure. Because I think that's what the Father's saying to us. Let's have an adventure. Let's pray. So, Father, I thank you for an invitation. I hear your heart. You're saying, let the adventure begin. Let's do this. I hear you asking, where do you want to go, son? Where do you want to go, daughter? What do you want to do? What do you want to put your hand to? Let's do this. I know you got pain. I know you got hurt. I know you got stuff from the past. I know you, I know you, I know that's, I see all that. Let's talk about it. I know you might be asking the question, well, where were you at, Father, when all this was going on? Why, why didn't you intervene? Why didn't you say this? Maybe, this might have been something that, that maybe happened to you a long time ago when you were a kid. And you're still looking at it and you're going, like, Why? I think the Father wants to hear your heart. And, he, and he's saying, tell me, let's talk about it. Let's, exp- let's bring it to the forefront and look at it. You know, we always talk about how we, we need to tell the Father, I'm sorry, but I think there's times when even in the midst of dealing with our pain and our hurt, I think the Father looks at us and says, you know what, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that happened, and I'm sorry that that took place. And Because that's what a dad would do, right? And so if you need, I, I think if you need to hear that, I think the father's saying that right now. He goes, I'm sorry you went through that, and I'm sorry that that happened, and I'm sorry that that take, took place, and I'm sorry that those things were there. I want to help, and I want to work, and I want to walk with you through this. I think he's saying none of that that's happened disqualifies you. I think to some of us he's saying, I know that uh, maybe in your life you've been taught so much fear about looking at the future and even maybe even looking at your life and, and making changes and, and even thinking about family and friendships and, and job security and all that. When you, and, and there's a fear there because, well, that's being too selfish or that's being too uh, inward looking. And I think the father is like, hey, listen, you're not going to be able to move outward unless you figure you out. So I just hear the father say that there's freedom in you being you. You're free to be you. You don't have to hide anymore. You're free to be you. 
You're free to be a mom that has kids. You're free to be mom. You're free to be a dad. You're free to be a husband. I don't think there's anyone in this room that has, a, has bad motives when it comes to wanting more. And I think the Father's saying it's okay. You can, you can want more because he knows your heart. Your heart's not one of greed. Your heart's one of, of giving and sharing. And so you're wanting and wanting more. It's so that you can increase your table, not build another fence. And so the Father knows your heart, and he says it's okay for you to want more. You don't have to be ashamed of wanting more. It's all right. You have a charitable heart, a cheerful heart. You want to give. You want to you make your table longer. So it's okay. I know we've been beat up in the past of just wanting things or... or so scared of, of messing up and I see the father say quit worrying about messing up and let's do this thing let's go no more cruise control no more cruise control shake it off we're stepping forward we're moving the adventure starts today Father, I thank you. I thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for speaking life. Thank you, Father. Amen. Hey, thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, check out our webpage. It's wearehopecommunity.com. Peruse some of the things that we got going on there. There's a blog, some more media. Um, there's a place to give if you would like to. Um, you can check out some other services that we have got. Um, but more importantly, we'd love to hear from you. And there's a place where you can just write a question, shoot us an email, whatever. We'd love to hear from you. You can also check out our Facebook page and our Instagram. Uh, you can connect to us, connect with us through those as well. But thank you so much for tuning in today. And remember that you are valuable beyond measure.